I've just been at a master's course in, in Johannesburg where we were looking at some things and uh, one of the, the lecturers there, the, the doctors had mentioned a principle that jumped out at me and I want to just take a bit of time to go through it and it's this, oh, I'm not actually going to give it away because I'm going to tell you my title in just a moment, but before we get there, if I can ask you to stand, I'm going to get us to read some scripture together and we're going to do it the old liturgical way and we're going to stand for God's word. Are you ready for that? Okay, you get to read it with me. Matthew 28 verse 1. It's going up. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, that's quite sad to be called just the other Mary, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb and there was a violent earthquake. Are you with me? Cool. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now at this point you think I'm probably breaking into an Easter sermon and it's a little bit uh, late in the game for that. That's not what I'm wanting to look at. It's really just three key words that we see here in Matthew 28 verse 2. And I'm going to just read it to you again. Don't worry. It says this. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Uh, It's quite an interesting phrase. I'd never looked at it before until it had been provoked in my thoughts this week. But there's something in just the, the, the stillness of this picture, the silence of this picture, that should be declaring something to us. Normally when you see an angel coming, it's all about authority and power and majesty, and you expect them to, in a sense, hover and to stand there. But here in this moment, uh, the angel is sitting. It says he sat on it. So I'm going to let you sit, but first you've got to ask the person next to you, and I know you're giving it away, but I just want you to know my title. Where are you sitting? Where are you sitting? Awesome, you can take your seats. Where are you sitting? Lord, as we, as we break into this, I just do pray. I pray, Lord, that you just speak to us about where we're sitting, even as we make, um, uh, just take a simple statement, a simple picture, a simple illustration. I pray that you'll bring through something of a depth of what you've called us to and what we have available in you, Lord Jesus, and where you've called us to be seated. In your name, I pray that. Um, so let me ask you a question. How did you choose your seat tonight? I know if you're an extrovert, you probably just came in and took whatever seat you wanted to because uh, that's how extroverts can roll. I'm an introvert. I come in a lot more strategically. I weigh up where is the quickest exit, where is the most shade, where can I be hidden away, where am I going to get the least engagement. Uh, We take a bit of strategy in this. It's like going to the movies. You know, you always look for um, a space between you and the person next to you. And my most irritating thing is that pop-up that says, you cannot leave a space. But I want to leave a space, and I'm the client, but they don't allow you to. Uh, I had a, a flight where I thought I was going to be wise, and I left a, uh, I took a middle seat because it, the plane looked kind of empty. I thought, what are the chances that people would want to sit on either side of me? And I landed up so cramped on this flight to Joburg. Luckily, it was a short flight. But how do we choose our seats? Maybe if you're here with kids tonight, as I can see there's some people in the corner, you sit with the quick exit because you know that your kid at any moment could burst into wails and screams and tears and anything else that goes with it. I had uh, the privilege of taking my nephews and nieces to a Justin Bieber concert. And uh, 
fortunately, I got out of actually being there. I just dropped in there. But in that moment, they wanted to be right near the front row, you know, as close as they can get. So almost you could be showered in uh, the sweat and perspiration of, of Mr. Bieber. But uh, when you've got a preacher like me who sometimes spits a bit, people tend to be a little bit further back and get out of the, the danger zone here. So we, we're quite strategic in where we choose our seats. And there's something about, even as we look at this passage, that where we're seated and where we're sitting matters. I want to take a moment to pick up on just my first point is uh, this thing of not where you're physically seated, but where is your soul seated? Uh, where, where are you sitting? in your emotions? Where are you sitting in your will? Where are you sitting in your mind? Because it plays a key part in how you are experiencing uh, life and the fullness of life that we have in Jesus. And there are two aspects that cause us to sit down. The first is this, there's a reason that you sit and there's a place that you sit. There's a reason that you sit. Maybe you're a bit tired. Maybe you're a bit bored. Maybe you don't know the way to go. You're a bit confused. And so you're wanting to take a seat. Maybe it's because of various reasons. I'm not going to go over all of them. But then there's also a place that you sit. You look for somewhere, as I've mentioned, strategically, that you can take a seat. And when we look through Scripture, we see this coming many times. We see this phrase of where we're seated. I'm wanting to pick it up because we're going to be going into a a series in Ephesians um, that we're going to be looking through in the morning and the evening service of what it means that to know that we have been raised in Christ and seated in heavenly places and what, what it is to live out of that position. But uh, here tonight, I just want to look at this thing to provoke a bit of where are we seated uh, in this moment. If you look in Scripture, you see many times where it mentions um, people being seated. And there's not always significance that I can find in and around this, around that. But often when it tells you where they are seated, it's often very significant. Uh, I love looking in Genesis 18, just to open right up in the beginning. And it says, Abraham, he's in the promised land, but he's seated outside the entrance to his tent. And you wonder, why is he seated outside the entrance to his tent when he's in the land that the Father's promised? He's called to inherit it. But it cross-references to Hebrews 11 verse 9, and it says this, By faith, Abraham, taking the promise, he was an heir, but he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's not looking for any place to dwell or any building or any um, temple that he can go to. He's wanting to go to the place that's built by and its architect is God. And so he's sitting at the tent in expectation, in anticipation. We see with Rich as he preached that great uh, sermon on, and I, I always struggle to pronounce his name, Mephibosheth. Did I say it right? I believe I said it right. Yes, let's give George a hand. That one's just, I'll clap for myself and getting that one right. And I didn't spray the first row. It's amazing. But uh, we see that when he comes and he sits at King David's table, there's a reason that where he sat was so important. It was a place of honor. It was a place of restoration. It was a place of being brought into sharing in the wealth and the resource and the lavishness and the blessing that David's table offered. And we see it even with Jesus when he sits in John 4 verse 6, when he sits at the well. And it's symbolic because he is the well. And he's basically saying, I'm sitting in the place where you can find me. There's something significant where he's sitting. Jesus is sitting at the well. He is the well. He is the wellspring of life, the fountain of life. And he's saying, I'm sitting symbolically at the very place where you can find me. There's there's significance in where we are being seated. There's significance in where we're taking our seat. And uh, not all of it is positive. 
Because another scripture we can see is 1 Kings 19 verse 3, and it's Elijah. And Elijah is taken on, um, he's called down fire, it's caught up the, the offering, it's burnt up the altar, it's burnt up everything that was offered as he's having the showdown with the prophets of Baal and Jezebel um, and her armies. And uh, he not only calls on God, fire from heaven that devours the, the offering, but he also uh, kills 450 prophets of Baal. You would think this is a moment of victory, that he's uh, really broken the back of the enemy at this moment. But instead it says in 1 Kings 19 verse 3, that in this moment, Elijah became filled with fear. It says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And now here's the thing I want us to see. And he came to a broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I mean, this is an amazing thing. He's seen a, a great victory, but here he goes out in the wilderness, the middle of nowhere, he sits under this tree that's called a broom bush and sitting under it, he prays that he might die. You see, I want to say it's not so much about physically where Elijah was sitting in the midst of this moment. It was where emotionally he was sitting. It was where he was sitting under. It was where he was placing himself, allowing himself to come under. And it says here, a broom brush. He was sitting under this broom brush and he was feeling suicidal. And when you look in scripture, I love it because there's such detail, there's such significance in the name that's names that are mentioned there. And when you look at this broom bush, it was also called a juniper tree. It was indigenous to this area. It grew in these places of desolation and wilderness. And when you look at it here, there's a couple keys we get from this broom bush. The first one I want to mention is this. The broom bush grows in a dry place. It grows in a dry place. And maybe you in, in a place here this evening. And uh, when I'm asking where you're seated, where you're finding yourself, where you, you're finding yourself positioned currently, maybe you've been in a dry place. And in a dry place like this, maybe it's where those emotions come up. Maybe you're feeling, uh, maybe there's depression and anxiety and fear and confusion and all of those things that cause us to feel a little bit bewildered. Maybe there's a little bit of self-pity and we, we're sitting in this place. And often it's because we are in that dry place. And it's because we're in a dry place spiritually. Rich shared so beautifully in, at, into this area this morning where he was saying we need to know our capacity because when we're in a place that we're feeling low in our capacity, we need to make sure that we are being filled up so that we can continue to overflow. Because if we find ourselves spiritually in a dry place like this, often it's our emotions that start to turn and we start to become as those things I've discussed, where there's depression and anxiety and there's fear and there's sadness because we're in a dry place. And that's what grows in a dry place as we're seeing in this moment. The second thing that we see about a broom bush is that it has a bitter root. It has a bitter root. When we read about it, they say that it was edible, but it was so bitter that it's not something that you would choose to eat. It would only be the, those that were the poorest of the poor or those that were the most desperate that would actually eat of this bush. We see it mentioned in Job 30 verse 3. It says, they are gaunt from poverty and hunger, and they claw the dry ground in the desolate wasteland. They pluck wild greens from among the bushes, and they eat the roots of the broom trees. It says those that are gaunt, those that are desperate. It's something that you could eat to survive, but not to thrive. And this is what happens when we allow ourselves to take a seat, our emotions to take a seat in the midst of the wasteland under the broom tree where there's nothing else to eat. So we start to partake of the bitter root. And if we allow our emotions to sit under that sort of circumstance, we can often be eating of the fruit of bitterness. 
When we allow ourselves to be in the place where we're focused on the, the wrongs that have been done to us, I, I heard a, a testimony which was sharing a little bit er, earlier that someone who um, had just uh, faced a situation where they had taken a little bit of offense, in the midst of that offense, they had been sitting under a tree of unforgiveness, and when you sit under a tree of unforgiveness, what you eat is bitterness. This is where the person had been, and they had to come to the recollection. They came and, and were just sharing it. You know, I've got to get up and get out from sitting under this thing and eating what's presented to me. I need to move to another place and be seated in a place of promise, not in a place of just uh, of, of emotional discouragement as we see here. It's that beautiful psalm. And uh, I'm mentioning all the things that Rich has preached recently, where he preached out of Psalm 23, verse 5, where it says, The Lord sets a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The Lord sets the table before us in the presence of our enemies. Don't let the enemy choose your table, your seat, and what you're going to eat. Don't let the enemy choose your table, your seat, and what you're going to eat. The enemy can come and he can throw things at you and shoot fiery darts at you, and it can cause you to become into fear. And if you allow your emotion to drive you, it'll drive you into a wasteland, sit you under a broom tree, get you eating bitter root, and to the place where you're so caught up in bitterness when you're actually called to be feasting at the table. But you're being moved by your emotions rather than being moved by the truth, the promises, the principles of the spiritual life that we have access to in Christ. And so what are we allowing to move us around? The first two, dry place, bitter root. The third thing I want to say is the, the, the branches, the twigs, were used for binding. So often when we come into that place where we let our emotions drive us somewhere, not only is it a wasteland, not only is, is it a place of bitterness, but we can be bound by the very thing we're trying to find shade under. The very thing that we're trying to find shade under. It doesn't offer us what we need. And here's the beauty of what uh, the comparison that we see here. And it's subtle. And this is what was awakened to me in this last week. 1 Kings 19 verse 4, I've said it. Elijah, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. Here's the shift. Matthew 28 verse 2. See if you can pick it up. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone and he sat on it. Can you see the difference there? One sat under it and one sat on it. When if you look at the Greek word for under, what it means is this. It means to be under authority. When you go and you sit under something, you're placing yourself under that thing's authority. Be very careful what you're sitting under. When you look at the Greek word for upon or on, when you sit on something, it's the Greek word upon, and it means this. You sit above, beyond, and more than that thing that you're sitting on. There's something powerful in the midst of this moment because the angel comes and he sits down and he's, uh, it's an amazing thing because you kind of wonder how he's sitting, what position that he's taking, but we can get caught up in that. But here's the amazing thing. It's not how he sat, but what he was sitting on. He was sitting on the very thing that the devil tried to use to stop Jesus. You see, sometimes the thing that was meant to be bring defeat can be your seat. Sometimes you can take a seat on the very thing that was meant to defeat you and being seated on that thing, it's the very place where you can get to declare God's goodness. That's where he gets to share the good news that Christ is risen, Jesus is risen. You won't find him here. He is up and about and full of life. And so what is it that the enemy has tried to roll in front of you? What does the enemy try to close you in with? What does he try to block out life with? What does he try to entomb you with and put you in a rut with? and put you in, a, in a, a deadened place with? Is it something, maybe an issue around relationships? Maybe it's a financial thing you're facing. Maybe it's a thing of value and self-worth. Maybe you're questioning your call. Maybe someone's here and you're questioning your faith. You know, is this real? 
and the enemies try to roll something in front of you. And the beauty is this, we get to make a choice where you sit. You can sit under the circumstances or you can sit on them, but you cannot do both. You've got to make a choice where you're going to sit. And that's the encouragement that we're seeing in the midst of this picture, just a simple illustration. It's this daily choice where you're going to sit. And as a leader, where you sit doesn't only influence your own life. And we know in the kingdom of God, we're all called to be leaders and influencers. But when you are a leader, where you are sitting doesn't only influence your life, but it impacts those around you. Because if I'm sitting under discouragement, I can bring discouragement all around me. When I'm sitting under frustration, I can subject other people to frustration. When I'm sitting in a place of hopelessness, I'm going to start to see that thing spread around me. Because we, we often think, oh no, you know what, I'm like a thermometer, I can read the atmosphere. No, I want to encourage you with this. You're actually more like a ther- thermostat and you can set the atmosphere. So you need to be deciding, choosing, making sure you know what you're partnering with and the atmosphere that you're setting around you. And as we come as a community, we get to set an atmosphere of faith and expectancy and hope uh, in this place that other people get to come into this um, atmosphere because it's been set by a community that knows what we're going after. We, we see in 2 Kings 10 verse 30, just the outworking of this, that even as we're speaking about um, uh, what you're sitting under, it says in, in 10 verse 30, Because you have done well in accomplishing, this is the Lord speaking to to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done the same to the house of Ahab and all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel for four generations. There's something powerful about this. Because of the decisions, because of the choices that Jehu had made, his descendants and his generations were going to get to sit on the throne. There's something beautiful about knowing this, that when we start to make decisions as fathers, as mothers, as leaders about what we're going to sit upon, it means our kids and the generations that follow will never have to sit under it. When we make a decision that I'm going to sit on top of my temper, my children never have to sit under my temper. When I make a decision that I'm going to um, start to sit on top of my addictions, my generations don't have to live under those addictions because I'm breaking the pattern of what takes place there. When we get to know that we're going to uh, start to take on anxiety and we're going to know, I'm going to take the promises of God. Rich was sharing this this morning. I'm going to, I know I'm not going to be conformed to this world. Conform, that word, it means to to be fashioned after or be in the fashion of this world, but I'm going to be transformed. It's a metamorphosis. It's a total change by the renewing of my mind. When I take God's promises and renew my mind to those truths, even in the area of anxiety, I'm believing that my generations, as I look to sit on top of this thing, aren't going to have to sit under this thing, but they're going to be able to inherit peace. Rich, Rich shared powerfully into that this morning. I want to encourage you to, to take a listen to that. And when I get to sit on top of fear, my children get to live in courage. When we as leaders, when we as people of this community start to sit on top of fear, we start to become a company of courage. And other people get to experience and to enter into to the fullness of that. And it comes from a place of being faith-filled, grace-infused, promise-prompted, spirit-led, making decisions that don't only uh, influence my life, but impact generations. So that, that's who we call to be. But where are we seated? Where are we taking our seat? I, I love Jesus models this. How do we do this? How do we approach this? How do we live this out? In Hebrews 12 verse 2, we see Jesus as the example, and he says this, says of us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do we do that? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is how 
Jesus did it, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It was a choice he had to make. Was he going to sit under the weight and the circumstance of the cross and try to pull away from it in the garden of Gethsemane? No, he said, for the joy set before him, because he saw himself being seated at the right hand of the Father, and not only himself, that we would be able to be seated in him at the Father's right hand, where there are pleasures forevermore. And that brought him joy. And because of that joy, he could endure because he knew where he was going to be seated. And there are things that need to be provoked in our heart where we're going to have courage to go after where we're called to be seated rather than, than just apathetically sitting back in a, in, a, in a wasteland under a broom tree and eating whatever's presented to us in the midst of the moment. You see, Jesus had a choice, and he says, scorning its shame of the cross, because he didn't desire the cross, but he was pursuing the joy. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it goes on to say, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Saying, don't grow weary and lose heart. And Jesus had a choice. He had a choice to make in the Garden of Gethsemane. And often the people think that the battle was won at Golgotha at the cross, and it was, but the choice was made in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, that's where the, the victory comes into play. That's when we start leaning into it, pressing into it, living into what we call to. What choices are we making? Practically, it means... And uh, I think it was Seth Dahl who had said something recently um, on a parenting blog. And he said, when I'm driving home, what that means is I've got to sometimes stop the car, reassess what atmosphere I'm carrying. So in my language tonight, reassess, am I sitting under my temper? Am I sitting under my weariness? Am I sitting under my frustration? Or am I going to sit upon those things so that my family don't have to sit under them? So I, I make a decision, I make a choice, and I've got to make it, but it's empowered by the Spirit of God, and it's infused with the grace of God that enables me to live out of that place. And and so I've got to make that choice, though. I've got to make that decision. We've got to make that decision. Practically, that's what it looks like. So the first point was, where are we seated? The second point is this. Let's talk about the, this thing of saving seats. Uh, how many of you, I don't know if you like me, but uh, it's, it's one thing I battle with, is saving a seat. Let's say I'm going to a show and someone phones you a friend and they say, hey, please won't you keep me a seat? And you think, sure, I'll do it. And then it starts to get more crowded. And like I said, I'm, a, I'm an extroverted introvert, which means I can socialize, but inwardly I'm an introvert. And so this is not my favorite thing. So it gets more crowded and more crowded. And eventually there's no space. And someone comes down a long aisle and they, they're working their way through the crowd. Maybe it was like the Bethel Knights if you were here. Those were crazy nights. And, and someone comes to sit by you, the only empty seat. And you've got to say, sorry, the seat's taken. I mean, who finds joy in those moments? I, I find it... Uh, a little bit difficult, so I get Rich to do that for me. Just, just Rich, just tell me this seat is like, taken. I, th I think you need to practice it. Turn to someone next to you and say, sorry, this seat is taken. <laughs> Not the best thing. They actually, they call it the triune brain. They say that we've got three parts to our brain. If you're a psychologist, you would understand this. The first part is the survival brain. It's really just the involuntary bits. It's the breathing. It's um, your instincts. It's uh, doing with any, uh, any of the respiration, all that takes place in your body that you don't really control. That's the survival part. The second part is the logical brain. Um, I get accused of, of this, that I'm, I'm too much living in this one side and I need to get beyond that. But this is the part where your executive skills come in, such things as planning, weighing up alternatives, 
making dis uh, weighing decisions. And uh, quite interestingly, they say you only come into the fullness of this in your 20s. So if you're a teenager, you're a little bit exempt and you're allowed to make uh, worse decisions than some of us here. But then there's the third brain, which is called your emotional brain. That's the third part, and that's the part I'm talking about here. It's where your emotions take a seat. It's called the, the seat of your emotions. That's how people, some people refer to it. It's that moment where you're always processing. This is how you're processing things um, mentally, but also how you're responding physically. It's going on in your mind. And so it's when that person, when you're driving home and that taxi cuts you off and the blood starts to boil in your neck and you think, uh, should I just pursue this person? Should I, I follow them? Because uh, the emotions are causing a physical reaction. That's what's, but you're having to process this all the time. And I love it when a scripture speaks into science and to psychology. Philippians 4 verse 6 talks to us about how we handle this moment. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, here's the key point, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's saying our hearts and our minds, which uh, are we know of our soul, all that where our emotions work from, we know that we can be making decisions that in God, that can guard those areas of our life so that we don't have to be subjected to just the, the randomness of those moments and just to destructive moments because we can't process that. We get to take it to God, and as it says in 2 Corinthians 10, we have the opportunity to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every thought captive, every emotion captive. We're not the victims being manhandled by our emotions, but spiritually we get to know that we are connected to the life flow that comes, life flow that comes from being seated in heavenly places, and we get to make decisions that are able to guard our emotions, guard our peace, guard our minds, so that when things like fear and that emotion came creeping down the aisle and wants to sit in the seat next to you, even worse, wants to sit on your lap and make itself comfortable, you can say, sorry, this seat is taken. When anxiety tries to come creeping in and starts to try and fiddle and play and tickle your head and sit on your lap once again, you can say, sorry, this seat is taken. We can actually save seats for peace. We can save seats for uh, just, just the, the liberty and the freedom that comes from knowing that we have the mind of Christ. We can actually save those places rather than just being slaves to whatever comes and take the seat that is, that is empty. So the first thing, know where you're sitting. The next, be able to tell whatever's coming, this seat is taken. And the third thing, which I love, a seat has been saved for you and for me. I don't necessarily like keeping seats for people, but I love it when a seat is kept for me. It doesn't matter what time you arrive. It doesn't matter um, if you've got a ticket or not. It doesn't matter if people know who you are. I had the opportunity and, and Rich of going to a conference with Julian in Dubai. And, um, you know, Sean Boltz was there and it was a guy I was, I was keen to hear. Um, there were some influential people. One of them was the richest New Zealander in the world who was at this conference. And I mean, I arrived there. I didn't know anyone. I hadn't paid for a ticket. I hadn't uh, tried to find a seat. But I arrived there and I got the opportunity to be ushered. We got the opportunity to be ushered up, to be sat next to a billionaire um, to have opportunity to engage with Sean Bolt. And it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I deserved anything. It wasn't because I had importance or influence. It was because I knew a man. And because I knew a man, a seat had been saved for me. And, and I love the, the, the invitation that comes from that. And I want to encourage you that a seat has been saved for you. 
It's a seat you couldn't afford. It's a seat that you couldn't earn. There was a price that we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid it. And it doesn't matter if you've got a sin that you have felt that you've been ensnared in. It doesn't matter if you felt that you've been weighed down with shame. It doesn't matter if you've been burdened by your own self-made mistakes. It doesn't matter if you felt trapped in a mess. The beauty of this, the righteousness of Jesus and what he has made available to us invites us to come and to take a seat with him. And it's the beautiful thing of knowing it's because of a man. It's because I know a man, and we get to call on his name, the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means you never have to sit under any circumstance. You've been seated above every other circumstance, and everything has been put beneath your feet. That's what it means to be seated in Christ Jesus. And so here's the challenge. Sometimes we've got to check our ticket. Sometimes you've got to check your ticket. Have you ever been in that moment where you've gone to a show or like I say, or been on an airplane or, and you're sitting somewhere, maybe you're sitting in a the claustrophobic little place and you realize you, when you re-look at your ticket or when the usher comes down, they say, no, you're in the wrong seat. You're meant to be sitting in the aisle seat. Isn't that a beautiful moment? I've never had it yet, but I, I know that it will be a beautiful moment. And sometimes we've got to check our emotions and we've got to check our insecurities and we've got to check our fears because maybe we're sitting in the wrong seat. You see, there was a moment where Gideon had been reserved a seat as a mighty warrior, but he was in, sitting in a section called cowardice. There was a moment where Moses was sitting, had a seat reserved for him as a deliverer, but he was sitting in a, sec a section as well where he was also in fear. There was a moment where Timothy was sitting in a place that was called timidity, but there was a seat reserved for him called power, love, and a sound mind. You see, we've got to look at the ticket so we can know where we're called to be seated. And so when we start to, how do you do that? How do you look at the ticket? You start to look at the promises of God. You start to look at his word. You start to look at what it says about you, who you are in him, where he's seated and where you call to be seated as well. And you start to align yourself to that and you start to say, Holy Spirit, won't you come in as the comforter, the counselor, the one who comes alongside and won't you lead me into and usher me into the place that you've called me to be, that I might be seated where you've called me to be seated. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been in that place where you think I've been, it feels like I've been cursed with um, just confusion. But that's not what the promises says. The promise of God says that we have been given the mind of Christ. That's the ticket. You're sitting in the wrong seat. Maybe you're in the place where you feel that uh, everything has been going wrong for you. Nothing is going right. But here's the ticket. It says that you have been blessed in the heavenly realms. That's where you're seated in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's the ticket. Maybe you've been in the place where you've been feeling deadened, where you feel no life, where you feel I've got no joy, where you feel there's no hope for me. But the promise is this, that you've been seated in Christ in heavenly places. And Psalm 16 verse 11 says that, that, um, that you're that you seated in Christ in the heavenly places at the right-hand side of the Father. And in His hand are pleasures forevermore. In His presence is joy forevermore. And He's the God of all hope. So if there's no pleasure, there's no joy, and there's no hope, I want to say you're sitting in the wrong place. That's not where you're meant to be seated. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to come and usher you into the place where you're called to sit. These are the, the challenges that come. So where are you seated? Maybe you're seated here tonight, and like I say, you, you're just in one of those areas. Maybe there's some, um, some, some self-value, some self-pity. Maybe there's some condemnation that you felt and shame. Maybe there's some confusion. Maybe there are things that people have said about you, that have put you in a place where you're feeling you're sitting under things. We want to just see people. We want to see God's word spoken over you and allow for the Holy Spirit to just come and remind you 
of the promise of where you're called to be seated in Christ. And maybe you're in this place and you've never known that there was a seat reserved for you and you've never given your life to Jesus. And I want to give that opportunity as well, that you would come and that we'd get the opportunity to pray for you. But let me ask you just to stand for a moment. Lord, even as we've just uh, spoken of where we're seated, we're just so grateful that we know that you are seated on the throne far above every other thing that could be named and everything that could be mentioned. We, we thank you that you are unrivaled, that you are unequal, that nothing compares to the promise that we have in you, even as we were singing those songs this morning. And Lord, we just thank you that we can take this time to, to realize where maybe we've been seated in a place that feels like a bit of a wasteland. Maybe we've been trying to find shade under that which can give us no shade, under something like a broom tree, where all there is to eat is bitterness, and we find ourselves in that place where we're actually being bound by that which we thought that would give us shelter. Maybe we're in that place, Lord, where we feel that we've allowed so many things to come and sit around us and to sit upon us and we just weighed down and we're feeling, like I mentioned, just deadened and confused and not sure which way to go. But Lord, I thank you that you've come and that you've made a way for us and that you've reserved a seat and that we get to be seated in the victory that you have won. We get to be seated uh, in that place where we receive every blessing in the heavenly realms. We get to know what it means to be seated by our Father and know the pleasures that are ours forevermore, that even as we know, Father, your presence, there is fullness of joy and fullness of hope. And so I just pray that you just come and just release just your life over us this, this evening, that we would just know that joy, that we would know that hope, that we would know that just that upward call to step into everything that you have called us into. Lord, I just pray that every weight would be removed off of us. And Lord, particularly, I just want to pick up on where people this evening might have been feeling unworthy, Lord. Weighed down just by burdens and weights that made them feel that they're not good enough. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that even as I, I shared earlier, it's, that your, it's your righteousness that invites us to come and sit in the front row to come and sit on your throne where you have made space for us. And I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just come and you just start to minister truth that sets people into freedom. As we just take these next few moments just to open up to what you might be wanting to say to us in Jesus' name.